African ingenuity is showing us right now. Our edge has been that it's in our face. We can see it. We don't have a way or opportunity to buy our way out of it. So we come up with solutions. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Fox. And if you're looking for a deep dive into plastic waste, all its issues and what the heck we can do about it, then welcome. You have found the right podcast. Eco Life Hack on the way, but as always, a fabulous and much more intelligent than me guest. Now, plastic alternatives are talked about a lot on this podcast, but with global plastic production somewhere around 367 million metric tons in 2020 and production continuing to grow, what are we going to do with all the plastic that's already in existence? Well, here's an idea. You might not like it because it's not circular, but how often do you recycle a building? Cubic turn plastic waste into low carbon buildings. There are 100% plastic waste, five times less CO2 needed in production, 40% cheaper than traditional construction methods. And today I'm joined by Kyrus Asfar, who is co-founder and CEO of Cubic. Now he came to Cubic via charity UNICEF and companies like Google. And the startup Cubic has in the last two weeks been awarded Africa's Startup of the Year. Now we're going to get into that, what exactly Cubic is, obviously, how his co-founder Pendamare came up to design it, brilliant environmental innovations across the continent of Africa, and how bad construction is for the planet, and some really emotional stories of landfill waste in his birth city of Addis in Ethiopia, plus the hiding of waste in San Francisco. And I have to say, probably one of the best suggestions for plastic items we are thankful for ever. What I'm trying to say is there's so much covered. I can't wait for you to hear this chat. Here's Kudus Aspar, co-founder and CEO of Cubic on the Age of Plastic podcast. Kudus, thank you so much for joining me on the Age of Plastic podcast from Cubic. How are you today? Doing really well. How about yourself? I'm very well. Thank you ever so much. Now we're going to get into exactly what Cubic is, but you've had such a like illustrious CV. I just wanted to get into some of your background before we get into this product, which is essentially taking plastic waste and turning it into low carbon buildings. So you've worked at UNICEF and the World Bank before. Um, how do you think everything you've done in the past has sort of helped to lead you into what you're doing with Cubic today? Well, uh, I'm a son of Ethiopia. I grew up there for the first 16 years of my life. And I had a very uh, relatively privileged background when it came to the access to education that I had, the access to resources that I had. And one of the things that my parents always told me is, you know, this investment needs to be worthwhile beyond you. You had to come back and give those similar opportunities to others that couldn't afford it now. So a lot of what defined me started at a very early age. But you know, moving on uh, and, you know, going uh, to, to college in the U.S., yes. uh, getting an engineering degree and then having my first job uh, in Mountain View at Google was all a very exciting roller coaster ride that Bad. taught me a lot. <laughs> right. And, you know, it took it took several years to to start really thinking about how I can go back and contribute in a meaningful way. And I found a lot of that to be in taking technology and providing very productive use into uh, you know local contexts, so that led me into really wonderful places uh, such as the World Bank and UNICEF, as you mentioned. Uh, UNICEF for me is a very special place. This is where I feel like I grew up in so many ways. Uh, I, I traveled over forty countries uh, in in very very difficult situations, and there was probably two things that I learned during this time. The first one is. 
you know, the, the needs of human beings, uh, rich or poor, in a safe place or in a dangerous place is very simple. They want to provide uh, a very safe condition for their children. They want to have a fighting chance to have new opportunities, right? And one of the consistent terms that I would hear is, you know, I want to have a dignified life. And dignified for them meant I don't want a handout. I want to have the ability to buy stuff. I want to have the freedom of choice. And this really stuck with me, um, especially when it came to how what I was doing back then, again, was, you know, uh, building software, right? It brought humility into the products that we were designing and developing and really taking empathy into the real needs that people have so that this isn't just a really cool technology, but it's also something that's going to be transformational for their lives. Yeah. So, so, so all of that journey, uh, you know, led me one day to, to a really uh, warm and beautiful place called Abidjan. Uh, I, I was actually en route back home in New York when my closest mentor uh, and, and big brother called me and said, look, you need to come and see what we're doing out here. And I took a detour from Prague <laughs> to, to to Abidjan for 20 hours. So international. Uh, yeah. And, Let's not talk about your carbon I, footprint I, on this uh, on this podcast. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> oh, gosh. But this was probably the most transformational 20 hours of my life where I saw that, you know, the most impact that you can make could be from the simplest things. And in this case, it was trash. Yeah. Uh, fast forward two and a half years later, we were on the New York Times showing that uh, UNICEF has converted so much plastic waste into schools. I did this with Penda, who is now my co-founder. We were really excited about that recognition and realized we were onto something. And probably a trigger for us before you know we go into you know talking about Cubic was we were really frustrated that people weren't seeing this for what it really was, which is three things. We can bring affordability to a very, very fast growing and urbanizing context, which was Africa. We would be able to transform waste into something productive at scale. And we would be able to do all of this without making it look like uh, a charity organization, right? We can make this into a high quality, very beautiful thing. And coming back to dignity, that really mattered to us. And this is when we started to really think about if we were ever going to invest in a company as UNICEF, what would that company look like? And when we figured that out, we left UNICEF to build it. That's amazing. And like you say, if you have that dignity and safety in a home, and this is exactly what you're able to build with Cubic, then it is quite transformational. If you don't have anywhere safe to live, like what else can you really think about? And I suppose you've moved from building software into building hardware. Is that what we can call buildings and homes? Probably not. Um, but let's get into what uh, Penda, the co-founder, has developed. What exactly is Cubic and how does it remove plastic from the environment? So Cubic turns plastic waste into low carbon, low cost building materials. So when we're talking about building materials, we're talking about bricks, columns, beams, all of these things you hear your contractor when uh, you know, you coming and yeah. talking about, right? <laughs> and charging for. But ultimately it's walls, right? Walls make up the 
the significant part, most significant part of any building. So we make everything in order to make that happen. Now, Penda is uh, the, the brainchild behind what we're doing now. Uh, she's a uh, French Senegalese mother of two who uh, had a very, very successful construction business in Texas, but at some point realized that if she was ever going to be bringing value to people that she cared about, and if there was ever a time that she would love her, her kids to, to, to honor and love her, it would be through the contributions that she does back in her home country. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, my story and hers uh, coincided uh, again uh, in Abidjan. And this is when we were able to really start thinking about what we can do to transform not only a continent, mm-hmm. but the world. And these conversations led to what Cubic is doing now. Yeah. And this is, there's already um, sort of informal plastic waste collection going on across the continent. And what you're trying to do is, I don't know if professionalize is the right word, but make that a bit safer and better paid. Because that is essentially, you want those people who are out there at the moment, maybe in unsafe conditions, to be able to be the ones collecting the raw materials for cubic, don't you? Yes. You know, waste is money, right? We need to totally get our heads around that, don't we? Yeah. Because it costs money to get rid of it. And people are still like, this costs nothing. I'm like, well. (laughs) Exactly. Um, You know, when I was growing up in Addis, uh, which is the capital of Ethiopia, uh, I lived, uh, I would say, about 10 kilometers away from one of the largest landfills uh, in East Africa. I have never been there before until I started Cubic. And I remember going to see this place. We're talking about over 100,000 square meters uh, at minimum of, of trash, packed into 50 years of a mountain, which in 2018 had uh, a trash avalanche, which actually killed people. It's that bad. Now, when you think about that, you just think that there's, you know, trucks dumping and leaving. But no, there's about 3,000 people that live there. There's 3,000 people who subsist on it to the point where you have, um, you know, one girl that I saw that was so dirty, uh, and I mean that in the literal sense, that you can't uh, uh, distinguish her skin from the clothes that she's wearing. Because of all the dust and everything on her, gosh. Out of everything, right? Um, you have over 200 tons of plastic waste being dumped there every day. And they're just subsisting by collecting and trying to make ends meet. Mm. This is not just a story of the landfill in Addis. This is a story across the world where there are many people that do subsist on this, but the value of trash has not been recognized to a point where they can live a dignified life doing what they do best. What we really want to be doing as Cubic is not just buying trash and then you know turning it into buildings. We want to be empowering and keeping these people who are making uh, you know the world as clean as possible, earn a living that is dignified, live a life that's dignified, but also provide a life for their offsprings and for their future communities, a way that can be dignified as well. And that is something that we invest a lot in. Yeah, completely. And you're currently at the point of um, 
finding uh, an area to have your very first factory, uh, making the cubic materials. Um, tell us, like, how, because one factory would create a lot of jobs in that area, right? Yes. So each factory uh, that we build, and right now we're thinking of our smallest factory, can consume up to 50 tons of plastic every day. Wow. So if you think of how many people it takes to, to make that happen, it's over 10,000 people. Oh, gosh. Right. So the potential that we have to transform lives just within the supply chain is over 10,000 collectors and people that can actually start businesses to aggregate and sell this to us. Mm. And this is a very intentional decision that we took. We didn't, know, we didn't want to be a recycling company. Mm. What we wanted to be is an enabling environment for the recycling sector and the waste management sector to provide opportunities for individuals that are working in this space. Yeah, yeah. And um, people might be thinking plastic waste construction, okay, maybe they don't really know the kind of waste that's involved in construction, but it's a massive area of carbon production, right? So real estate as a sector is the most polluting sector in the world. Yikes. Um, One book that really changed my thinking around climate change is called Project Drawdown. Mm. It was probably the most uh, simple uh, explanation to what we can do to curb uh, climate change. What it did is took a very data-centered approach to rank the most polluting sectors in the world. And I thought airplanes or cars or something we like that We always hear about fashion. We always hear about food. Exactly. But paving and construction wow. are one of the top five. And if we were ever going to do something that's very transformational in our fight against climate change, it's going to be tackling real estate and doing it in a meaningful way. Now, that doesn't mean that we can stop building, but we can change the way that we build and make it a lot more environmentally friendly. So when we started to think about Cubic, we thought about scale, not because of the commercial side, but really because if we were able to produce low carbon, very efficient building materials at scale, we've actually put a dent into this sector, also from a pollute, uh, from a climate change uh, standpoint. Mm. I feel like I haven't checked this stat, so if you're listening, don't come at me for this. I'll have to, I'll have to do some journalistic background on this. But a friend of mine who works in construction in London uh, said that one of the biggest uses of water here is in concrete because concrete requires lots of water so you'd be cutting carbon emissions um with cubic by a huge amount compared to the construction materials that we use currently incredibly um you know we we did some desk research into if we were ever going to build a 50 square meter house in a very traditional way like how much emissions does that come out to be and it's close to 50 metric tons okay. of CO2, right? Uh, we did the same thing to see if we built with cubic, how much does it take? And it's 12. Wow. So you're talking about for every 50 square meters, us being able to avoid 38 metric tons of CO2 emissions, right? So when we've been thinking about climate change beyond just the environmental impact of plastic, 
you know, when it comes to climate change, the amount of CO2 emissions we can avoid is about 20 million tons of CO2 within our growth plan over the next 10 years, right? So this matters as much or probably even more than the plastic, uh, the plastic reduction that we can foresee through our business. And this is one of the tipping points that made Panda and I decide, you know what, forget this UN job. We really need to be thinking about, uh, we really need to be thinking about this company. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you've done such amazing work in all, in in everything that you've done so far. But yeah, this, this startup feels like it really could, it really could make a huge difference. And um, in terms of the safety, because I wanted to get into this, because I think a lot of people will be hearing, hmm, plastic bricks, and they might think of these things that were big a few years ago that you did with your kids, where you stuffed yeah. an old Coca-Cola bottle with little thin bits of plastic that weren't recyclable, like sandwich bags and crisp packets, and that was supposed to be a safe way to build materials. I believe it was an idea that was developed in the Philippines by a Canadian but actually they're not massively safe. And that is not what you're doing with Cubic. This is construction material. This isn't DIY bottle building, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this is construction grade material. Right. Now, um, and as you now know, you, you know, Penda and I come from UNICEF. This is a children's organization. Children come first and their safety comes first. So we, we always thought about safety before anything else. Now, what are the four things that we cared about? Toxicity, uh, fire safety, of course, making sure these are you know, as great as any other brick and cement that you use, but also making sure that there's no microplastics that leach back into the environment. Nice. So these four things really mattered for us. You know, for the first three, uh, our production process ensures that this is non-toxic. So there's no heavy metals or any kind of Uh, chemicals that leach from this product. Uh, We treat it for fire retardants, so plastic just in its natural state, if you want to call it natural, uh, is flammable, right? So so we can't get around it without treating it with fire retardants. So that's another thing that we do. And then we made a very conscious decision when it came to the types of products that we build. Now, you might have heard of some uh, you know, startups or companies uh, making paving blocks. Mm-hmm. We made a conscious decision not to get into that because the effect of microplastics from high impact areas has not been studied enough. And we weren't sure if we would be doing more harm than good by, uh, by doing, you know, by making those type of products. So these are areas that we consciously avoided for now. Now, the part that has made me really excited about this product, right? It's very, very strong. I mean, I can hit, you know, our bricks with a hammer for, for days and nothing will happen to it. That was an Try exciting day of your, testing. <laughs> right. Uh, I, and, and it's a great stress relief, I tell you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're talking about an ultra strong product. And all of that has to do with the beauty of the chemistry of plastic also being very durable and strong. Right. At the same time, We're talking about a very thermodynamic uh, product. Now, what do I mean by that? Abidjan, as I told you, is a beautiful coastal uh, city, but man, does it get hot. We're talking about 40 degrees Celsius uh, during the afternoon and 
don't forget the humidity as well, right? So when we're constructing these classrooms, uh, we're talking about no AC going into these classrooms. You know, kids in most of Cote d'Ivoire uh, don't study in AC, right? Now, we did some testing. We're talking about a 40 degree Celsius day. I'd melt. Where you can go into this classroom and it's 28 degrees Celsius. Ooh, that's a big it is difference. Nice and comfortable, <laughs> yeah. right? That's and better again, than AC, I think. <laughs> yeah. So we were talking about plastic, which is uh, thermal insulant. Our design makes it even more insulating. So we're we're also from a climate change perspective, reducing the amount of energy needed in buildings that are designed with our product, but also making sure that individuals can have a dignified way of learning, living and existing without having to afford uh, an AC. Yeah, yeah. And let's face it, the planet's not getting cooler. Um, and who would want to do anything in 40 degree temperatures? Thank you very much. A short interlude in the podcast now to remind you that we can't all do this alone. If we want to divest from fossil fuels like plastic, we need everyone and all companies on board. So if you want to find out what the companies you use are up to when it comes to sustainability, but you don't know where to start, there's a handy form that you can download and use to email to any company. You'll find it on my website, iamandreafox.co.uk back to today's episode and we talked we've talked on this podcast before um already about the the factory that you are intending to set up and that is because you are a startup and when i say startup you have literally last friday won africa the whole like the whole continent startup of the year congratulations yeah. that's amazing thank you we're we're very excited about this uh, it's a big testament for us that even before we have our factory online to get this recognition, it's meant a lot for us for two reasons. One is, of course, having the validation that our vision means something means that we can in even invest a lot more time and energy into it. But the second one is, you know, as Pe you know, Penda and I are uh, Africans, me from the East, uh, Penda from the West. We've really been struggling to make sure that people understand, especially people outside of Africa, to understand that this is a this is a continent with so many incredible ideas, so many incredible applications. And if only a little bit more investment went into these companies, we're not only talking about them becoming the unicorns for Africa, but the unicorns for the world, right? And this is a recognition that hopefully will lead more uh, investors, more partners and companies and governments to start realizing the private sector potential that this continent has. Yeah, I think that's such an important point to make. And I think it isn't something that we hear about so much here in London, in Europe, um, in America, about how there are so many young um, entrepreneurs across the whole of the continent of Africa. So yeah, congratulations. That's I hope that brings lots of people to your inbox, your phone ringing off the hook. Uh, to talk more about supporting Cubic. Um, but I wanted to touch as well on a phrase I heard you say, and I think you've kind of talked around it um, without using this phrase so far today. But I've heard you use the phrase environmental dignity. And I wanted to just sort of, if you could explain a bit about that, because I think that's the first time I've heard anyone use it when you said it. When I grew up in Ethiopia, um, it was a very quaint uh, town that I grew in. Uh, right. This is the capital city. It's called Addis. While it was quaint, while I could say almost everyone knew everyone, 
it was it was technically poor economically, but it was a very green, a very beautiful place to live. Um, I left for university. Uh, I came back several years later, and it became a mega metropolis. We're talking about highways that I've never seen before. I think I saw the first overpass and underpass ever in, in Addis, right? Uh, and, and of course, from a growth perspective, that's really incredible. But there were two things I was also seeing. I remember coming back uh, from any drive and having to wash my face and seeing the discoloration in that water. I was seeing so much trash, every kind of trash, not only plastic, everywhere. What this meant to me later on as I was digesting it is, while growth is important and necessary, it needs to be done in a dignified way. It doesn't need to come at the cost of the health of people. It doesn't need to come at the cost of people needing to live amongst and in trash. And for us, environmental dignity came from this idea that Africa is growing. It should continue to grow. We're so proud of it but let's do it in an environmentally dignified way where we do not have to wash our face and need to see mud at the end of the at the end of the sink. Yeah. And I think that's so important and you've already mentioned it when you talked about that awful um landfill avalanche that there is no this is an issue that just affects the environment and doesn't affect people because I think all environmental issues affect people and all people affect the environment and we need to sort of think of that as as a, as a roundup, you know, focus on environmental issues and you're also helping people at the same time, which is exactly the aim of Cubic. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, what do you think would make your goal with Cubic easier? If you could click your fingers right now and make that goal a little bit easier to achieve, like what would it be? Would it be governments? Would it be funding? Like what would it be for you? The more concerted effort there is to strengthen the supply chain around waste, our job is going to be much easier. Right. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, of course, as a startup funding matters, you know, we've actively fundraised, we've been very successful in that. Uh, on the demand side, we are so affordable that we know demand is not going to be our issue. Yes, that's something I haven't touched our on. Issue. So yeah, affordability yeah. versus current materials. 40% cheaper on average, Boom. right? If you think about real estate, it's a very price sensitive sector, right? Any builder is going to say, how can I cut my bottom line without compromising the quality and integrity of my building? Mm -hmm. Any product that's going to do that is in, yeah. <laughs> right? Cool. And being able to provide that very straightforward win-win opportunity for our clients has been probably the most straightforward thing that we've done so far. Right. The part that's very, very difficult will continue to be how do we get trash out of places they shouldn't be at scale and volume. And this is a broader issue that goes beyond the business of Cubic, right? And if there was one thing I could change today, it would be waste management being a lot more organized, a lot more dignified for those who are working in it so that when Cubic does enter this space, it becomes a much more straightforward approach to working in the sector as it's been for us working with the real estate sector. Yeah, yeah. And I think waste management across the world has, is just not 
fit for purpose. You see the recycling rates across the planet. You know, the landfill we have here, it's just, yeah, I completely agree with you there. I wondered as well, what else you think personally we need to do to tackle climate change? I know you've mentioned that brilliant book, Project Drawdown. If you had enough time, if you could split yourself in two and work on something else as well as cubic, what else do you think would be a huge focus to tackle climate change? It's very similar to um, what I've observed with how we treat plastic waste globally. I would just say, stop hiding it. Hiding is not an answer, right? And this goes with climate change as well. I think we've created a system where as long as it's not in our face, it's okay. I'll give you an example of what I mean. I spent my very early adult days in San Francisco, very beautiful, charming, very clean place. Uh, For work, I've been there many, many times. And I recently went there uh, to meet a friend and he took me to uh, his factory where he's doing a different business. And he continued to tell me, man, plastic is a big problem. And I said, what, what are you talking about, man? You're, you're living in paradise. And he said, I'm going to show you. And he just showed me across the fence in the next lot of the industrial park that he's in. And I saw a striking amount of black plastic just, just amassed there. I'm talking about at least 2,000 tons of it. Wow. And I asked him, what is this? And he said, well, what you're seeing here is probably 10% of what was there about a year ago. We had to have the city remove it. He said, this is coming from the big agriculture uh, industry where, you know, to get our strawberries, to get our pears, you, you wrap it in plastic film. He said, what happens to all this waste is they just find a place where nobody would see it and just dump it there. And I said, well, where did the other 90% go? He says, somewhere else. Mm. Right. And this got me really intrigued of what does plastic waste mean for countries that we consider to be clean or cities that we consider to be clean, like San Francisco, Mm. right? Clean in inverted commas, yeah. Exactly. And data shows that the city of San Francisco produces more plastic waste than Botswana, Lesotho, and Malawi combined every day. Wow. And I suppose, I don't know the population versus land mass area, but I imagine the population is probably quite similar. So big. We're talking about three countries versus one city. Wow. And that's Western life, isn't it? We've just become accustomed to it. And it's fine because it's hidden for us. Exactly. Now, it's still a problem, right? It's actually a bigger problem because now we don't know where that trash is. Mm -hmm. That was the moral of the story. And I think even with climate change in general, we should not be creating a system where it's okay to pollute as long as we're buying off our or offsetting our pollution elsewhere. I understand this is bringing a lot of efficiency into how we can encourage more uh, environmentally friendly ways of doing things. But what it's also doing is making sure that we can buy our way uh, out of a problem, which in reality is not really happening. And um, this is a much bigger (laughs) and much more complicated issue to be looking at. But I would say that, you know, if we really as human beings and as a human race wanted to figure something out, we've done it for so many thousands of years. 
And this is something that we can do if we really have this in our face and want to solve it once and for all. I think African ingenuity is showing us right now. Uh, like you said, we're not the only company that's trying to fight plastic waste or trying to fight climate change. And I think our kind of our edge has been that it's in our face. We can see it. We don't have a way or opportunity to buy our way out of it. So we come up with solutions. And I really do hope that these type of solutions that Cubic and other companies are coming up with on the continent could be a model and an example for how it's done through the rest of the world. Yeah, brilliant answer. I'm so glad I asked you. Yeah, completely. It's That's such a good point about it being hidden for us. Um, I'm nearly coming to the end of my time with you, Kudis, but I wanted to just ask you two questions that we always ask our guests. And one is that we're called the Age of Plastic podcast. I sort of do hate plastic, but it is a good material, as you've pointed out, in construction could be used. Um, so is there an item in your life that contains plastic that you're like, kind of glad plastic exists because otherwise I wouldn't have that? I've got quite a big record collection, so I'm going to have to go with that. Um, so what would it be for you? Wow. Uh, definitely a record collections are one. I, I'm, a, I'm a record head as well. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. There's probably not one that I can point out to right now. Um, I think, you know, healthcare and medical industry has been, should be very grateful to the types of uh, innovations through plastic. Uh, my my father is a, is a heart attack survivor. Mm. He has a, a plastic stint in him, right? Wow, yes. Um, the, these are incredible and, and we should really be investing in it. Now, having said that, what the real question that I always ask myself is, how do we continue keeping the existing plastic productive, right? How do we continue making it as, you know, I mentioned to you earlier from PET bottles into the amazing H&M clothes that, that we wear sometimes. I'm not endorsing H&M. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the, the textile industry benefits from this, right? Because it continues to be pr productive through recycling. Mm. Cubic has found a way of taking unwanted plastic waste and made it productive into construction building material. I'm sure there's a million and one other ways that we can do this. And as long as we keep that circularity in check, we have continued to innovate and use plastic in the way that it should without it having the adverse effects that we see it having right now. Yeah, I mentioned medical grade plastic as, you know, one of those game changers for the planet that imagine if that was the only plastic we had or like you said, we stopped using virgin plastic. We just used all the plastic that's already in creation because we've dug up a lot of molten dinosaurs already to make plastic bottles. <laughs> um, finally, thank you to your environmental hero, please. Who do you really look up to? There's so many. Um, for me, I would go back to that girl uh, that I spoke mm -hmm. to, uh, spoke about. Um, what makes you a hero in in environmentalism is both the sacrifice and and the dedication that you've put to doing something about it. I'm sure that girl in that landfill had five, six. 10 other reasons to be elsewhere, but she was there doing something around recycling, right? We really need to be paying attention to these individuals. We really need to be honoring them for what they do 
provide them with better opportunities on how they could do it better. So for my heroes, they will continue to be the people that we employ and give opportunities to in this space. Yeah. Okay, that's an amazing answer. I've so, so enjoyed chatting to you today. Good luck with everything, Cubic. Where do I invest? Um, and thank you so much for joining <laughs> me on the Age Plastic Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Enjoy your day. Not stop building, but build more better. Build better. Build back better. Love that. Kirus Asfar, who is the co-founder and CEO of Cubic. You can discover this tech. Be more aware of it. Maybe if you know a construction company, maybe you own one. Uh, get in touch with them. You can find out more at buildcubic.com. That's cubic with two Ks. And give them a follow online for more. So excited to see what happens in their future. I've linked to that website in the show notes and some other stories about some other innovations as well, uh, which we touched on in the episode. Eco Life Hack, I read some quite sad stories this week about zero waste shops seeing less people coming through the doors. People are back to pre-pandemic levels of busyness. The cost of living crisis is starting to bite. And yeah, one a week, uh, one report I read closing. So a little shout out for your zero waste shop. Um, give some love to your local one this week if you are able to. As always, if you have a guest suggestion for the podcast, a comment, an eco life hack, just want to chat, get in touch. All of the details are in the show notes. And I'll be back with another episode of the Age of Plastic podcast next week where we're talking washing machines. I know, sexy topic. I'll be talking to Dr. Laura Foster, head of Clean Seas at the Marine Conservation Society. Until then, just wash your hands, yeah. And while you're at it, wash your recycling and keep safe. And I'll see you next week.